0: The following sermon was delivered by senior pastor, Reverend Dr. Scott Black Johnston, in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday, in person or on live stream. For details, go to FAPC.org. Our reading today comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 20. And you may recognize this reading as the second half of the Ten Commandments. Hear now the word of the Lord. Honor your father and mother so that you will live a long time in the land that God, your God, is giving you. No murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lies about your neighbor, no lusting after your neighbor's house, or wife, or servant, or maid, or ox, or donkey. Don't set your heart on anything that is your neighbor's. All the people experiencing the thunder and lightning, the trumpet blast and the smoking mountain were afraid. They pulled back and stood at a distance. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us or we'll die. Moses spoke to the people saying, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you and instill a deep and reverent awe within you so that you won't sin. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be be to God.
1: Today, Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church, begins a five-week sermon series on faith and conflict. As Sarah mentioned, we are calling it Fight Like Jesus. Earlier this week, I heard a radio announcer describe contemporary America as being consumed by conflict. We are more divided, he remarked, than we have been at any time since the Civil War. Now I'm not sure exactly how this commentator measures our overall levels of anger, internal conflict, and sheer divisiveness. He must have a very special barometer on his wall, or maybe we lean toward narcissism when evaluating our place in history, our moment in the sun. This is the most conflicted moment. Uh, Really? (laughs) Is today's turmoil unique? Aren't there other troubled seasons in this nation's life that could give contemporary conflict a run for its money? I think of the 1960s with the civil rights movement, Vietnam War protests, violence in the streets of Chicago, Los Angeles, Birmingham, turmoil on college campuses, all framed by a terrible string of political assassinations while playing out against the, the backdrop of Cold War tensions like the Cuban Missile Crisis. That might give the present moment some stiff competition, but of course this is not a contest that any sane person or community wants to win. In the end, it might be wise for us to set comparisons aside and to simply affirm something that we all feel. This is a conflicted moment. You don't need to watch elected officials trying to throttle each other on the floor of the House of Representatives to know that this country's political and cultural disagreements run both deep and passionate. So this winter, Fifth Avenue Church is going to explore the roots of human conflict. We're going to identify concrete steps that each of us can take to address the conflicted places in our lives and in the world around us. The next five sermons will mine our faith, focusing on the teachings of Jesus in an effort to chart a way forward. Now, to be clear, this is not a series that will guide you in avoiding conflict. We have to begin by acknowledging that conflict, broadly speaking, on a day-to-day basis, at home, at school, at work, with our neighbors, and even in church, is inescapable. The next five sermons will not be an illustrated guide on how to mimic an ostrich and stick our collective heads in the sand. Instead, we will pay attention to something that the good book makes surprisingly clear. Important things, revelatory things, happen in the midst of conflict. And and along the way, we will remind ourselves that Jesus did not run away from conflict. On the contrary, our Lord frequently spoke about conflict and sometimes actively sought it out. Jesus approached human conflict as the context in which God's most important work, the ministry of reconciliation, takes place. And as such, learning to fight like Jesus is an essential skill, you might even call it a spiritual discipline for Christian people. Fourteen years ago, when my son Oliver came home from his first day at kindergarten, I asked him, how was school? What did you learn? It was great, Dad, he responded. We learned what to do when you get angry. First day of school, (laughs) anger management. (laughs) The older I get, the wiser that curriculum seems to me. And in fact, there are days when I feel like our entire society needs to go back to kindergarten. Our culture needs to put more thought into how we handle anger, how we pursue issues about which we care passionately. How can we be faithful and effective? I think that two can actually go hand in hand in working for a better world, for justice, For healing and reconciliation? How can we pursue the good so that at the end of each day we are mending instead of tearing the fabric of our world? These are challenging questions. Humans are not particularly skilled at fighting fair. We are fragile and cranky people. Our efforts to do good come packaged in cracked vessels. This truth is highlighted in our second scripture reading for today, a passage from the book of Romans. In this passage, the Apostle Paul confesses his failures in striving for good. I I think listening to Paul own his inconsistencies, his brokenness, is a perfect place for us to start. So let us listen now for God's word, as it echoes to us from Romans chapter seven, beginning with verse 15. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but In fact, it's no longer I that do it, but but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of God, for you, the people of God, thanks be to God. I do not understand my own actions. God bless Paul. God bless his honest and troubled heart. Whenever I read this passage, I hear it as a a groan. I do not do what I want, but I do the very things that I hate. The apostle shines light On the hypocrisy that lies in every human heart, we can know the good. We can point to the good. We can want to do good. And yet when it comes down to it, in the scrum of life, we often end up choosing the exact opposite. We do the evil that we hoped not to do. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always taken some comfort in listening to the apostle confess to being a hypocrite. If one of Christianity's saints can admit to being a tangle of contradictions, well, then maybe there's hope for me and for you, too. True confession time. Whenever I step into or suddenly find myself in a conflicted situation, I tell myself listen carefully, be generous in interpretation, truthful in whatever you say, and above all kind. Those are my spiritual goals. That's that's how I want to behave. But of course as a situation unfolds, my demeanor can change. It, it does change. In the blink of an eye, I can lose sight of, of my guiding aspirations. And, and when this happens, I, I typically take a mature path. I blame other people. <laughs> I rationalize my behavior. They are playing by an entirely different set of rules. They have backed me into a corner. They have forced me to change my tactics. Their comments are are slights and and digs and even outright attacks on me and those I care about. I have a right to defend my motivations, my people, my position, so I can push back. I want to crush my opponent, win the day, surely my cause, My righteousness, my good intentions, will excuse my increasingly aggressive behavior. Somewhere along this continuum, though, the fabric of human relationships begins to tear. Have you been there? Have you ever done a post-mortem on a conflicted conversation and thought? Golly, I I went into that situation intending to do good, but in the end I accomplished the polar opposite. (laughs) How did things go so sideways? What makes conflict so challenging for us? I think there are many reasons, but today I would like us to consider the root cause of human conflict. And and as a point of entry, I would like to talk with you about the work of René Girard. Girard, who died in 2015, was a fascinating intellect who wrote and taught on psychology, sociology, literary theory, philosophy, and theology. Stanford professor Robert Pogue Harrison once called Girard one of the titans of 20th century thought. Born in France, but spending most of his life in the United States, Girard was an atheist who converted to Christianity as an adult. In teaching at various universities, including Duke, Johns Hopkins, and Stanford, Girard spent his academic career developing a theory of human conflict. And to get at the root cause of human conflict, Girard turned to the Ten Commandments. Now typically, scholars divide the Ten Commandments into three sections. Section one, which is made up of three commandments, speaks about God and warns people not to engage in idolatry. Section two, the next two commandments, offer guidance on good living. Observe the Sabbath and honor your father and mother. Section three, the final five commandments contain prohibitions against certain human behaviors. This is the famous thou shalt not section. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. These prohibitions culminate with the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife or male, or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Gerard's attention was drawn to the 10th commandment. This commandment, he would eventually argue, uncovers the root of human sin. The good professor's logic unfolds like this, humans are forever desiring the wrong thing. If we were to obey the 10th commandment, we wouldn't even need the of the other thou shalt nots. You don't steal, Gerard observes, unless you desire someone else's stuff. You don't commit adultery unless you desire someone else's mate. You do not murder unless your desire for power or revenge or money overwhelms your respect for life. Our lives, Gerard argues, revolve around desire. We desire status, power, fame. We daydream about perfect bodies eternal youth, better jewelry. (laughs) We lust after more authority, the corner office, better clothing, glitzier houses, bigger bank accounts, and at this time of year, vacations in the sun. (laughs) Is all this desire bad? Well, not necessarily. We can desire things for ourselves, and for loved ones, and even for the wider society that are good. Bread for each day, shelter over our heads, trustworthy friends, loving relationships. We are capable of desiring both the godly and the good. As the Apostle Paul attests, I want to do what is right. Sadly though, on the journey from thought to action, our good intentions often fall by the wayside. Our best desires are shelved before they are implemented. There's a tremendous gap, a chasm between good intentions which most human beings have and good actions which so often elude us. And and Scripture gets this. It knows that there's a whole lot of conflict going on out there in the world, but it also knows that there's a whole lot of conflict going on up here. (laughs) Being honest about the battles being waged inside of us is a first and crucial step toward faithful living, and toward engaging faithfully in conflict. And all of this takes us back to Gerard. According to the professor, the most insidious thing about the desires that people are pursuing in their lives is that most of those desires are not their own. <laughs> From early childhood, humans learn to copy each other's desires. And then, throughout life, we are constantly being influenced in our desire. The world wants us to develop new desires. Desire for this lip gloss, that body type, for this bottle of whiskey, and that fantastic lifestyle. The Kardashians and the rest of the influencing world are constantly trying to tell you what is desirable and we are willing sponges. (laughs) As such many of us maybe even most of us spend a good portion of our lives desiring to be something other than ourselves. Enter the 10th commandment. When the 10th commandment says, do not covet, it's trying to break us out of a hypnotic trance. Do not desire, it says, what other people desire. Do not desire other people's lives. My friend, the Reverend Amy Miracle, fantastic name, pastor of Broad Street Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio recently told a story in which she described being envious of a friend who, who lives and works at Yellowstone Park in Wyoming. He gets to spend a lot of time outdoors. He's not burdened with the challenges of urban life. He's not responsible for the care of a community of people with pressing needs. As she was contemplating how nice his life must be, he actually called on the phone. He was feeling lonely. (laughs) He missed the hustle and bustle of a city. He was feeling envious of her life as being part of a loving community. Coveting, my friends, is a massive trap Coveting convinces us that others have what we need. Coveting convinces us that we're just, just one step away from feeling satisfied, secure, and happy about our place in this world. Now, is, is that such a terrible sin? <laughs> So what? So we yearn for stuff that will ultimately not satisfy us. What's so bad about that? Well, according to Gerard, misplaced desire leads humans to commit every other sin enumerated in the Ten Commandments. And as such, misplaced desire proves to be the root cause of human conflict and violence. Consider with me for a moment the reasons that Russia has publicly floated for invading Ukraine. What explains, what could possibly explain the loss of hundreds of thousands of lives on both sides in this cruel conflict that's not even a year old? Russia needs to redraw a map that was mistakenly redrawn at the end of the Cold War. Our country needs to protect Russian sympathizers who live in certain villages in eastern Ukraine. Russia needs to do the hard work of wiping out fascism. These reasons are little more than political smokescreen. And we all know it. The energy fueling this conflict comes from a much more basic source. It is grounded in the rudimentary desire that nations have to expand their power and control. I call this desire basic, but it is also just plain demonic. This is the worst sort of coveting. This is unchecked desire, unrestrained desire. Desire that is willing to pay an awful cost to achieve its ends. The world, my friends, provides a constant stream of evidence for Gerard's theories. Although, of course, war is not the only place where misplaced desire, where coveting fuels conflict. We can see it happening all around us. What are we to do about it? This is precisely, by the way, the question that the Apostle Paul asks and then answers in today's reading from Romans. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. How can Jesus rescue us from the conflict that roils our lives and our world? The answer to this, to trade in the common parlance, is that Jesus also happens to be an influencer. And like other influencers, he seeks to focus our desire in a certain direction. Unlike other influencers, Jesus points us in an unsettling direction, (laughs) a potentially life-changing direction. As Christian mystics like Teresa of Avila have long attested, Jesus would have us embrace a desire for God. Desire God. Now, what does that mean? (laughs) In a way, I think it takes a lifetime to try and answer that question. Some describe it as a slow process, as a relationship that grows and deepens, moving from friendship to love. To love God, to desire God, is to want what God wants. To desire God is to be shaped by God's grace, by God's loving embrace, by the huge bear hug that God extends to every one of us messed up souls. To to desire God is to abandon tactics that deepen human conflict. It's to risk speaking with love, humility, and vulnerability. It's to try and to fail and to fail again. In fact, the Apostle Paul warns believers about this. The world will see you, he says, as being both weak and foolish, as being the followers of a massive failure, i.e. Jesus. <laughs> and this prejudice persists because those who desire God are learning to play the game of life according to a totally different set of rules. The goal of this game is not to satisfy your heart's latest desire at whatever cost. The goal of this game is to have your heart rewired by another, by a love so deep, so broad, so high. What's the alternative? (laughs) There isn't one, says Gerard. The only thing that can save us from endless conflict rooted in misplaced desire is God. God alone can free us because God alone does not covet. The reverse of coveting The opposite of trying to obtain things for yourself is giving. The opposite of coveting is offering one's self sacrificially for others. And that is who God is. Next week we'll explore what that means for us. Go from this place and desire God, and as you go, have courage, hold fast to what is good, do not return evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, honor all people, love and serve the Lord. Amen.
0: We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.